welcome to Taking Games to Market, uh, LinkedIn Live. Um, before I let you guys introduce yourselves, uh, I just quickly introduce myself. Uh, so my name is Melanie. Uh, I work at EBD Gaming, uh, and we focus on freelance recruitment in the gaming industry in Nordics. And then I personally do anything within management, so uh, product managers, uh, project managers, anything within community, anything within production, and also anything within marketing. So I know all three of these lovely people. I speak to all three of these lovely people on a regular basis. So I feel like I'm just catching up with friends, which is lovely. We're just missing a glass of wine, aren't we? But um, yeah, Andre, if you want to kick us off, just introduce yourself to the people for me. Uh, hi, I'm Andre Persson. Uh, today I work as a as a consultant uh, for helping smaller studios and, and bigger studios around, around the world. Uh, I've been in the industry for quite some time, uh, wearing a lot of different kinds of hats uh, within marketing and publishing as well as sales. And that's it. Lovely. Cool. Uh, Martina? Hi, uh, my name is Martina. I currently work at Avalanche Studios Group in Systemic Reaction Division. I am Product Marketing Manager, and thanks to this lovely lady named Melanie, I uh, will be moving to my a new job adventure very, very soon. Uh, I have been working in game dev industry for five years now, more than five years, uh, for mobile, PC, and console games. Lovely stuff. And Vilus? Thank you. Uh, so I'm a freelance product marketing consultant and over five years of experience, I worked uh, across several studios such as Paradox Interactive, Flashbulb Games and two studios within Avalanche Studios Group. Um, my mostly background, of course, is data driven performance and so, but now, of course, covering all of those and across those uh, years, I worked predominantly on console and PC games roughly around dozen. Yeah, glad to be here. Nice. Yeah, so this is really cool. So often when we do podcasts and stuff, it's people uh, who are like managers in a gaming studio, for example. So this is very cool that we have like three consultants who are specialized in their field, who know what they're talking about and have experiences working in different studios. So you see it from different perspectives, right? So this is very, very cool. So the topic is um, like go to market, right? So first of all, what is go-to-market? If someone says, oh, we need a go-to-market plan, what the fly monkeys is that for starters? Um, Andre, you want to just kick us off with that? Well, I mean, it's it's where you actually take your product and go external with it. It's it's everything that's connected outside of the studio. Um, it's it's your uh, influencers, it's, it's media, it's um, everything that will surround the player eventually um, in, in all various types of channels. That's kind of a, a good summary, I would guess. It's the plan to sell your product. Uh, and then, Vilos, how important would you say a go-to-market plan is? I think it is definitely very important. Uh, then you at least know the direction. You also define some of the metrics that you're actually measuring what success is. Ultimately, you know and you can align with the team what are the steps. You are also making sure that you are in sync. So at least, let's say, if development is involved in some of the communications, you're not really communicating uh, different things or you're not communicating something at the wrong time because that also happens. So I think it's a roadmap, but it's also a very good tool to, to really measure success and, well, learnings as well. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. 
We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Yeah, 100%. All right. Um, before I forget, if anyone has like any uh, questions that they have uh, for these guys, um, then just put your questions in the comments, and then we'll go through them at the end. So, yeah, just needed to say that before I forget. So, let's just crack on with the first thing then. So, because there's a lot of new gaming studios that are popping up all of the time, right? And quite often with these new gaming studios, there's, you know, a few, you know, old buddies, they get together, they're like, oh, you know, we want to make something cool. Usually one person's a developer, one person's an artist, one person's the business person. It's quite rare that there's marketing from the beginning, in, in my experience and from my conversations anyway. So, Martina, I want to start with you that, you know, why does, why do you need a marketing team? And then what can be some of the challenges that there can be within like a marketing team and, and other people um, in the company? Absolutely. Um, so in my opinion, you need marketing team from the very, very scratch, from the very first idea that will pop out in developer's mind. Because our job as marketers is to uh, do the market research, be where uh, which games are on the market, which are successful, which are not, and which ideas would be good to implement in the game. Um, so that's for starters. And it should be all combined, um, the development, the ideas, the art and marketing and all other apartments that I uh, did not list it here, um, to start working on idea that will be successful when it launches. All right. Vilios, uh, do you want to give your take on it? Absolutely. I think one thing that Martina mentioned was that bringing marketing teams so early in the process, while you're not actually marketing the game, you're actually giving the value back to the developers. Because developers are, to some extent, of course, making the game for themselves, but, but the idea of a successful game that it has to be to the players. So I think having that early marketing pulse, what the market is breathing, what kind of games are, and pretty much getting that feedback back from the players, either before announcement or, or after announcement, and feeding that back to the market, uh, to the development team can be extremely, extremely valuable. And of course, now we have so many different channels uh, to, to market the game. So at one point, it's easy. A sole developer can actually put the game out of the storefronts and storefronts give you a visibility and tools to pretty much give you guidance how to do all of that, like the copy, the assets and stuff like that. But at the other uh, hand, you have thousands of games coming every day. And then how do you actually break through the noise? And of course, marketing team, strong marketing team can help achieve that. I want to build upon that as well uh, and say that I think the, if, if the marketing team is there early on, they will be a representation of your players, you know, the, the people that you want to reach. Um, these guys will, will be able to represent that and be able to kind of... Um, have you understand your weaknesses early on uh, even before you do research you know the discussions that you can have it's not just yes men everywhere 
um, it's also people that will be able to come in and say, oh, okay, well, that might be challenging, but maybe we should, you know, we should uh, uh, check that through research or whatever. Uh, but I think it's always interesting when when uh, we can get in as early as we possibly can to start feedbacking as much as we possibly can before we need to go out and prove it or check it or anything like that. So the marketing team can really be a, a, a team of dreamers, but also a, a team of realists early on. How much, um, I'm just throughout this, I am just going to throw in some bonus questions. Um, how much, I guess, power can a marketing team have? So in those early stages, before even the games even really being made or being thought of, um, how much power can a marketing team have, I guess, over like devs? I think it depends uh, if we are talking about mobile games and uh, PC and console, because, for example, for mobile games, the development tend to be very short, especially for, for example, hyper casual games. So marketing does not have to be present from the very start. It's just because it's easier to just kill the game if it's not performing right. It's much different when you're working few years on PC or console game. And I think and this is where the business decisions have a lot to say uh, when it comes to marketing performance. Yeah. That makes Absolutely. And, and just to add upon that as well, I think once the game is launched, and again, of course, it varies from studio to studio how much marketing they have, but I think... Uh, that more feedback or influence also comes down the line as the game is launched and is supported, whether that would be through like game passes, DLCs, sequels and stuff like that, because that's where, again, marketing can feedback a lot of information on data-based information back to the developers and pretty much how to steer the game forward. Yeah, and I think it used to, it kind of used to be as well that, you know, the, the devs are making a game, uh, uh, you know, that there is a design being made, there is, you know, art being made, and then marketing is going to take care of it and sell it. And, uh, and I think that that's kind of an, an old school way of looking at it these days, because marketing is really everywhere these days. It's, it's, it's a lot of data-driven processes and all that stuff, and I know people are afraid of, uh, you know, not being able to do your thing and, and to create your thing. But in, in a in a responsible world that you need to live in when it comes to being able to sell your, your art as well, unless you're making it for yourself, then it is uh, much better to try and include and incorporate marketing as early as you possibly can so that you can start having those discussions. Can I... Have very yeah, quickly something to that to what andrea said and i completely agree that the trend is changing because for example for indie studios for years and years marketing was like the last bit that they will add just before the launch like two or three weeks they will just pop the game to the stores and we will be fine and i'm very glad to see that it's not the case anymore that marketing uh, tends to be um through, uh, hired through whole development and not only for the premiere of the game. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Before I started this job, I also assumed that, oh, like the marketeers just turn up at the end and they sell the game and then like talking to you guys and stuff. I'm like, oh no, that actually makes sense that you guide them on what game they should make before they actually make it. So yeah, it makes sense. So the first step, like with a go-to-market plan is market research, right, from my understanding. So, Vilus, like, from your experience, like, do you have, like, an example where 
you know, you did some market research and it highlighted something in particular? Um, I think, yeah, in, in general, of course, market research, I would say, is, as I mentioned, if it's a guide or a map for what you do, I think this is where, of course, you identify things, what motivates player, whether that's graphics, gameplay, story of the game, some specific gameplay feature. Uh, and I think by doing that, you can identify a lot of things that both uh, steer what game you are actually making, but on the other hand, what you are showing. And I think, again, as I mentioned, like if it's a graphics or, or say, specific gameplay element, by early pivoting or doing some A-B testing, uh, and again, I have an example where I was working on a game with where we had like six or, or, or seven very distinctive classes in the game that looked entirely like different, by doing some A-B testing, you can identify, okay, which one does resonate with, with the audience the best. And that can actually help uh, Again, further marketing beats as well as, as mentioned expansions, which do we feature the most on on the trailer, on the cover art, and and, and such like that. Uh, I think that also helps to identify the USPs. Say you do two by two matrix where you plot your game against competitors, you can find out where you stand out, where you are actually belonging in the category, or where you're bringing something new. Um, and then, of course player personas initially starting early. What are the demographics? What are geographics? Where do you actually market your game? What's the marketing market maturity? If you are having, let's say, a competitive multiplayer game, maybe you don't want to really go into the markets where, where players are playing single player games on, on their consoles or vice versa. So I think a lot of these decisions, and of course it can be another hour going into the market research, but I think it can give like those early, early hints on pretty much where you should focus and pretty much what are the very first crucial steps? In case there's someone watching who doesn't know, could you just briefly explain what you mean when you say A-B testing? Yeah, A-B testing is, in a very nutshell, ultimately that you do uh, have a variation in your communication. For example, it can be something, let's say, on the website or on the performance or on the ad, where you have two variations and you very much uh, know what kind of variable you will be tracking. So say I have maybe one website say in green and that one in red and i see that actually the ones that people that went into the red website actually doing the action that they wanted significantly more meaning that again given everything else is similar that red one's performing better yeah there's of course a lot of information about AB testing so. yeah, yeah no of course yeah i understand that's a very like simplified version but just in case someone like wasn't sure no that's cool um so andre in your experience with market research <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's extremely vital. Um, and I'm not advocating that you have to follow everything that comes out of that research 100%. Uh, but I mean, uh, I'm sure uh, us here in this in this uh, talk uh, have seen that you don't do enough research, uh, especially for one project that is five years or, or so, you know, you may, you might do it once at best, and then you you, <laughs> you follow it. Um, but you don't update it and and that's very dangerous because the market keeps changing on a, a yearly basis and other points as well where you might do market research in in let's say the us but you don't do anything in in asia and this game is going to go um to to several regions around the world uh, i have an example where uh, you would think that something like a battle pass is a given everywhere in the world and it's the highest priority to develop that and do that 
And uh, when we did research in South Korea, for example, they they couldn't care less about Battle Pass. Uh, it was really really interesting that they vanity and and advancing in your uh, you know getting more vanity faster, much more interesting, much more important than a Battle Pass. It was like no no thank you. Um, so it's it's really important. Um, and again, there's a lot of guesstimations going on uh, and. There, there will always be a lot of guesstimations going on, especially these days when it's hard to, to, to find good data to rely on. But that is exactly why you need to do as much research as you can and then convert that into actionable insights. Okay. Martina? I think everything was said already. I'm like very into the market is living and breathing organisms so we have to track of that and i totally agree with andre um, that um, having one strategy and sticking to it is a bad idea um, because even if you have very successful game for four or five years and uh, the market can change and your competitors are about to change for sure yeah absolutely okay um, so moving on to like things that I guess things that can go wrong or like realistic, like the first pitfalls, um, Andre, like what's your thought on that? Like what's something that you have to watch out for in the beginning of your go to market plan? Well, I, I think it's um, and I advocate that quite a lot nowadays as well, that um, the, the people who are going to, to sell your game are going to expect uh, features from your game to be there. And, and this assumption um, or or when you can maybe have that meeting of, you know, oh, yeah, these features, these are the things that we're going to need. And then they are kind of scoped out and, and the marketing team just keeps going that, oh, well, we, we have those features. It's going to be great. Twitch drops and oh, yeah. And then it's not there. Uh, then you're going to have a problem. Um, so so-called well, over-promising. Yeah, right. But, but, but it's also really... To understand that once you feature lock your game, and I think it's good for people, even even marketing teams that might be watching this as well, and it's just that once that feature lock is done, you won't be able to expect much from from the devs afterwards. You can't come in later and like, oh, we need this, we need that. You need to have that fight at that point, and that's also where the devs need to have a understanding and respect that that fight needs to happen. That fight needs to happen on both sides. You know, the guys who are going to sell it, who are going to do influencer marketing and all this stuff and need all these features. You need to have that battle. And once you make that decision, you you try and stick with it together uh, or at least update each other if you don't. <laughs> so for me, that that's the most important one to make sure that all the tech marketing stuff that needs to be in there, such as Twitch drops and whatnot, that it's in there before the game is feature locked. I have a feeling that marketing has to be the most flexible department of all because we depend on everyone from yes. programmer to <laughs> artist. And it's also different because, for example, I don't know if everyone knows that, but when you are releasing your game or update on a console, you have to go through certification for weeks before it's actually um, live. So sometimes it's like, okay, we are doing something for marketing and then the changes comes last minute, but we actually can't change what we wrote, for example, on store page. And that's when the fun part starts. It's 
<laughs> you have to be very creative and very flexible to work with that. But it's just everyday game dev work. Yeah, and that's Absolutely. also, right? I mean, it's also the point that this happens early on. The feature locking happens pretty early on as well. Uh, maybe even before a marketing team has been connected to this team. Maybe even before a go-to-market plan has been solidified as 1.0 or even 0.5. You know, maybe we're still doing research when the game is feature-locked, which is even worse because the research is showing you need this and that, you need and you know, you need all this. And then the devs are like, yeah, but we feature-locked two weeks ago. So then you know you're already in trouble. Velos, you were going to add something. Yeah, no, just wanted to agree with, with both what Martina and Andres said. Uh, and I think naturally features, as Andres mentioned, are, are significantly more cut than added. So I think it's, it's, it's one of that. And uh, of course, marketing campaign and, and USPs that I mentioned from the research is something that you naturally wrap your communications around the most important features. And sometimes, unfortunately, some of the features that let's say marketing assume that will be there might be cut. That being said, sometimes it's also a bit of a, I don't want to call it miscommunication, but uh, sometimes let's say marketing is working on the vision on the feature, assuming that it's like a very big feature. On the other hand, it might be overshadowed by different ones. And also add up on what Martina said, naturally you learn about these things pretty much so late that it's it's so difficult to to kind of make the adjustments just because of some of the lead times, so, uh, especially doing like performance marketing with consoles where you have to lock some of the dates, some of the creatives yes. months in advance and, and, and such, uh, such, so forth. So I think that two-way street of communication between development and marketing and, and, and syncs and understanding that we are actually talking about the same product that we are bringing to the market is absolutely, absolutely crucial. Well, that was going to be my follow-up. Like how, I mean, how common is it for like marketing and the other departments to have syncs? Is it like once a week? Is it just an email every now and again? Like how common are these syncs in studios? Yeah, I can I can probably just continue on that. So I think again it depends, of course, but uh, I think it gets significantly more common before marketing is out in the wild and and communicate. So before announcement, before launches, and all of that, or when the key decisions are made, maybe just reaching a significant uh, like gate of the development and 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 so forth. And again, it also goes what kind of marketing disciplines you are involving because you naturally don't want to drag all the marketing team in every single development thing. So so maybe the crucial areas is product marketing manager, someone that can feed the crucial information to the disciplines. Uh, community management also is something that should have the beat because they are probably the discipline that most involved on the tech side because they need to know what are like what potential bugs or fixes are in the roadmap and and, and stuff like that. So I think it it really depends on where in its life cycle the game is. Yeah, no, that's fair. So, Vilius, if you didn't mind continuing, with the go-to-market plan, what's the most important part? Oh, can't hear you suddenly. <laughs> you censored yourself. Yeah. Oh, God, I, I didn't realize it was such a secret. We might as well cancel oh. this live now, then. <laughs> No, I, I, I actually thought I'm unmuting myself, which I did not manage to mute myself since you just asked oh, me. Oh, I'm so sorry. Quickly. I'm so sorry. No worries. No. Um, so, so my joke was that I now will repeat was that all of them are the most important. Um, but uh, from my perspective, I would say that announcement is something where you can have the highest impact. 
because naturally you are bringing something new, something exciting, and that's where, let's say, the general uh, public or, or player base hears about your game. So, so I think this is that moment where you can grab the attention. And of course, if you manage to go under the radar or, or say, don't make that huge splash, and then you do like a second or third, let's say, activation or, or marketing beat, part of the players that would have excited, they might just have that in their back of their heads. Ah, that's the game I heard about. It wasn't really that exciting. Um, the pitfall on that is that when you announce the game, and again, back to what uh, Andre mentioned, is that you don't necessarily know how the final game would look like. So it's very important not to overpromise on that or sell something that you would not really uh, do. So, uh, so that's like one pitfall. And then just to add on that, you have the least information about the market when you announce, and you have the least information about the game, but that's where you kind of go a bit of a blind shooting, but that's where you get a lot of information from the market. So which geographic markets responded the best to your game, which actual communication or which feature seemed the most exciting, and based on that information, you can really tailor the remaining of your marketing campaign uh, because maybe you find out that apparently console players are significantly more interested in this game than your PC audience, or, or let's say if it's mobile, maybe uh, some platform or some regions. So, so I think, yes, I would, I would bet my money on, on the announcement phase. Martina, for you, most important part, go-to-market plan? I think uh, sticking to the strategy and being flexible when the game changes. And this is something that we see a lot every day and as Andre and Vilius both said um, market is changing so we have to adapt to it and sometimes it's it's hard that we are the party poopers for example and say like hey but you know during Gamescom we saw 200 new upcoming um, spaceship uh, games and we are doing the 201st one maybe we should change something and uh, devs uh, will be like very, very furious on us, not to the developers of those 200 space games. Uh, but uh, that's the reality. And for me, like most important part is to remember that we are not doing the game for ourselves. We are doing the game for the players. So this is my golden rule of working at game dev and talking to devs <laughs> about that. Yeah, I want to build on that as well. Um assets when you uh, are announcing for example uh, those assets need to be uh, in a place where where they will capture people's hearts and 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 remember you uh, it doesn't have to be the final stuff but it definitely needs to to work for when marketing needs to create those things so again it's one of those where you have to early on plan that at this point in time marketing is going to come in here and, and grab this stuff to create a trailer. Uh, if you're lucky, uh, all of that can be done internally and you have teams and, and they will fight amongst each other. Like, why did you break down the lighting system or, or you know, all oh, the animations are terrible now. They were great yesterday. Um, but uh, it, in, in many cases, uh, you need uh, external help to, to create trailers and, and create assets and all that stuff. So it's again a process where uh, you have to start as early as you can because all these things take time. Um, and we're talking like months before you're releasing or months before, um, 
starting to tease about something, etc. Uh, but if you if you can make that work, a a good trailer can really uh, take you a long way. And it doesn't have to be the best trailer. I mean, if you remember uh, Dead Island, for example, how that trailer affected so many people around the world. Um, it's it's interesting. Uh, you know, it's just that it needs to be the right promise for for your game. At that I point think Cyberpunk is a good example here, right? With their like marketing being off this planet. Uh, but they've learned they, their lessons for sure. And it's really nice to see Phantom Liberty, the first DLC coming out. The marketing changed a bit and we see that they uh, changed strategy. So they are learning. Well, yeah, because, I mean, don't make, if you, what's the saying? If you do the same thing, like don't expect to change results, right? So, yeah, that makes sense. Sorry, Andre. No, no, I just wanted to add upon uh, what we also talked about earlier is that um, when you take these first steps, it is really to analyze the the, the performance, to analyze the reception. Uh, it is, I mean, if you do early access, it's it, you should think of it more as a Kickstarter than, than thinking about it as, okay, everybody's going to buy your game today. Uh, it's it's really a process, and, and you need to have a... Um, be prepared for that process in various steps and have enough time to, to prepare for it. So Vilas mentioned before uh, about community. So Martina, I want to start with you this time. Why is community so important? Because you're doing the game for your players, not for yourself. They are the people that are spending money on your game and they are the people that play your game and they are the people that will tell you what they would like to have in this game when this is, for example, a live service game. And that's uh, also a group of people that will take part in alphas and betas, which are your first tests uh, out to the public and they will tell you honest opinion what should be changed and what is good. So I think without community, without players, none of the games would live. Like we would not have the game dev industry at all. That's why they are so important. Yeah. I think it's really nice with community. I mean, th this is also the beautiful work of, of a good marketing team as well, because the marketing team will, will, you know, take all the punches first. <laughs> we'll be we'll be the ones at the front, uh, seeing everything, understanding what is going on, and and then hopefully translating that into uh, constructive uh, feedback that needs to go right back into the dev teams uh, to to fix things. But it's also to to understand how the community is built up. If you're lucky, you're able to to build a healthy community. Um, there might be vocal minorities who might be asking about certain things and it sounds super loud, but it might not be the most important thing to be fixed right now. So that's also an important task um, that that the team needs to do and be a bridge between the front of being potentially attacked, uh, but also you know translating all that into what, what do we need to focus on right now? What do we need to fix? What do we need to improve? I personally think that community managers are underestimated in their work because they tend to see so many different messages from like very, very great thank you messages to sometimes very dangerous or even threatens of 
suicides and stuff. We saw that in our games. And this is serious stuff. And they are the ones that have to react or respond. And I feel like they should deserve kudos of those of this world. And uh, just to like stress that they are the most important part and the most important bridge between devs and players. Absolutely. And I think what you just said, Martino, is that when these are, let's say, when something goes wrong with a patch, with a game launch, with whether that's a feature that doesn't work as, as intended or, or just technical, community team is the one that's holding everything. Or as you Andrew said, like taking the punches, holding everything on their shoulder. And though these would be the, the team or the discipline that pretty much resurfaces, hopefully resurfaces your game to that. Because you cannot really, you, well, you can't spend a lot of money on influencers or on performance, but that would not really fix the problem if, if something is wrong. Uh, but I would like to add also one point where, where I think you very much were spot on that community members are the ones that give you feedback, that are ambassadors for you, that are beta testers. And you mentioned live games. I would say uh, that as specifically um, evident on uh, live games, but even on non-live games, they had experience on working three relatively big titles that each were at least three or five years, and they actually reached their highest concurrent players like three or five years after launch. And I think what, uh, three common things between these games were that they had an active development of those games throughout that period of time. They had a relatively long gameplay that can be sunk thousands of hours. But the third point, all of these games had a very, very strong established communities. And I think it's, it's very clear. If you have a five-year-old game, it's difficult to say sell that game to, to new players alone because there are so much newer games in the market that simply why someone that does not know about your game should buy a five-year-old game. So we're kind of in a marketing balancing retention versus new player acquisition. And your community would be the ones that would potentially buy expansions, buy battle passes. Those would be the people that actually will stick with your games. And as I said, like, again, for live games. So I think you were really, really spot on on that one. All right. My um, next question is, uh, like the potential pitfalls with community. Um, Andre, do you want to start with that? So, yeah, lots of good things, obviously, about community, but what can be some of the more negative things? Well, I mean, uh, it, I, I think it's a, it's a dual-edged uh, sword. I mean, the community, um, they, I mean, it's it's a tough one. It's it's a big uh, question uh, that, that I'm sure we can provide several answers to. Um, one of them is obviously being that you you need to uh, understand that the word community means that you know people are there to they are interested in and, and they want to support you, they want to um, connect themselves with you. So you have to uh, understand that at some points there will be tough love, and and you have to meet that. You cannot be silent. You cannot erase it. You cannot uh, troll them back and stuff like that. You just have to take it, and and. And respond in a way that that is uh, mature. You know, you can have fun with them when that time comes, um, but always make sure that that you have respect for them, because then they will also build respect for you, and they will see that you care. They will see even with people who might come and be super negative. Um, you know, be respectful. 
and and they might turn around and become your best ambassador. It has happened to me uh, in in several of of the games I worked on throughout the years, everything from Souls games to um, the you know Blood Hunt uh, last year and whatnot. You know where people would be complaining widely about things and and be angry about stuff that only concerned them. But just showing respect and and saying that I hear you, I recognize you. You're an individual. We're here. Um, that can mean so much. And if you don't think about that, if you don't have people that can be capable of doing that and be capable of kind of reading between the lines and whatnot, then uh, it, it might become a big problem very quickly. All right. Absolutely. And I would just add on, on, on top of that, the stronger the community is, the more ownership they take of the game. So they would have stronger opinions, they would be harder to please, and they would have like higher demands. And I think at one point, back to what Martina said before, we are making the game for the players, naturally your community uh, takes that ownership. And if, for example, you are pivoting your game, whether that would be a sequel, uh, a spin-off, an expansion, or like say a season in live games, if that, for, for example, does not really resonate with your community, they will be very low, vocal about that. And that's where, as you said, like you also have to have that kind of mitigation with, with the community managers and, and team to, to really help to, to get the message across. Martina? I think everything was said already. And I also believe that community is most important for live games. Uh, so uh, when you're doing a DLC, just as you said, and um, you want to sustain the interest of your game, and you know that people are waiting for some specific features, it's always good to hear them out because when you have a DLC, someone already bought the base game, and now your task is to make them make them buy the DLCs, right? So the DLCs need to match their expectations and needs. That's why community is very, very important in live games. So, Vilus, when when do you start to build your community? Mm -hmm. yeah, it's very good that you asked this question, as I, I saw someone from the audience also had almost exact exact question. Um, I think on the announcement, uh, and in most of the cases that would happen when, when you get your game out, and again, month-wise it can be maybe a year before, maybe half a year ago, again, the, uh, before the launch. Uh, so I think that's the right time. You, of course, would have ex exceptions from that. I think if the established studio or established uh, director, they pretty much start building the community of unannounced on our next project when they don't even tell what it is and the expectations are already there. But I would say for a newer studios, for a smaller studios announcement is, is where you start building that. And I think the reason for that is, is twofold. One, it is probably the most time-consuming marketing discipline across all. You cannot really build community overnight. You can hire 50 influencers overnight. You cannot do that with the community. At the other hand, it's probably the least external expenditure required. So uh, you build that over a period of time and, uh, and, and you learn from that. And that also goes to one of the topics that we discussed before that from that early development or community, you can bring information back to the developers, which features are the most interesting, what they would like to learn more. You have dev diaries and all of that, and you can measure the pulse of that. So 
yes, announcement, I would say, is, is the right time. Yeah, and kind of to build a bridge uh, between the previous question and, and what you said, Martina, as well, um, uh, the communities will, will, will expect different things depending on what type of, of game you're making. If it is a live service game, then every every minute, every hour, every day counts. And you you have to respond, you have to delight, you have to communicate, um, and you have to have an asset plan and a social calendar plan that is insanely uh, more uh, crazier when you have live service going on because it's just always going on. Um, it is possibly just a tad easier if you don't have live service um, and, and you have more of a traditional type of game, maybe a premium game, DLCs coming, etc. But it's it's still um, the 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 work that needs to be done is, is kind of the same. It's just timing that is that is different. I would I would say. Um, but it is as uh, you know, starting from from announcement and 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 just keeping on developing as well as managing the ones that you already have with you is is so important to understand the difference between those two as well. Okay. Martina, do you have anything to add to that? No, that's fair enough. All right, so let's move on to some audience questions. Um, there was one that I definitely want to start with that I saw pop up before. Um, this one here, I think everyone can see it. So Martina mentioned uh, working with mobile PC and console titles and the approach to marketing these games is for sure different. Can you guys share insights on differences in preparing a marketing strategy for different platforms and how you implement uh, influencer marketing here? Uh, I'm not going to pick anyone. Someone may just start. I can start. Um, so, yes, that's true. And the marketing strategy is much different between platforms. For PC and consoles, it's not that big of a difference like between mobile and PC because mobile tends to be like very flexible. We have much more data to work with on mobile markets. Uh, we have data from Google Store, Apple App Store. We have data from performance campaigns and this is like incredible amount of data that we can actually work with and adjust our decision based on that. So I would say that the marketing strategy for mobile is much more flexible and much more changeable during the process than for PC and consoles. With PC and consoles, we don't have that many data. We have data, obviously, and there are some ways to find out more, but it's always, um, I think, Andres said that, that it's, it's not an open book to uh, read from, and sometimes it's just guest-based. I don't know if you will agree. Yeah, I think it's um, it's also interesting on the point that you can't really build a community on mobile until you know that you're going to launch this game on mobile. Because mobile games have a tendency that they can live for three months in a soft launch period in Canada or Brazil or somewhere else. And then it's like, ah, not good enough, let's kill it. <laughs> so you you can't really start doing all that work because you know, people would they would never trust you to do anything. Uh, if if you would, you know, 
as a publisher go out there and like, oh yeah, yeah, you know, hello dear community, we're going to launch a game. Oh, we killed it yesterday before we launched it. So I, I think it's uh, it's kind of a different strategy where uh, mobile is is agile and crazier, data driven. You have so many cool insights, but I would say also uh, that it's harder to build a community there um, until you've you know you you've you needed to take certain steps to really show that you're going to be on the market with this game for quite some time and then you can build that community okay can i just throw in a side question why is it that mobile games are so easy to bin off are they just cheaper to make are they they are much cheaper to be made and also they're like the time of making a mobile game is much shorter yeah much faster Yeah. yeah that makes sense yeah okay let's move on to this one so marketing means so many different things to different studios. Uh, are there any examples you all have of cool early marketing strategies you found really built momentum? Of course, no secret stuff because we can't do that. But even if it's like not in your own experiences, if you heard of like a, a marketing strategy or like, you know, someone, you know, you know, came up with some kind of strategy that you thought was pretty cool. I can start here. Um, in one of my previous uh, studios, uh, it was three years back, and it was mobile studio. Um, within a marketing team, we saw a trend, like very, very early trend. There were just few games for a dating sim, but for mobile. And we were like, hmm, that looks cool. And within the marketing team, we prepared some strategies and we went to devs and devs were like, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and we were like, but it's going to be successful. <laughs> and after a few uh, conversations, they said, okay, let's test it. And guess what? It was successful. So uh, sometimes like that, that actually showed that we were right. Of course, a lot of A-B testing during the phase. Uh, but I remember sitting in this marketing team and looking through some adult stuff. <laughs> was 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 very, very fun to work on. Nice. Well, I, I mean... It, it, it is a pretty tough question, uh, NDA safe and all. Uh, but I, I, I will tell you something cool. Uh, I will share something interesting here. Um, last, uh, the last project uh, uh, that I, when I was employed, uh, when I worked, um, we uh, we were going to. It was a live service game, and we were going to to test it with four hundred people, uh, and. Um, we and the marketing team were quite nervous because the game wasn't going to go to market until six or seven months uh, after this test. So obviously, if a leak happens at this point in time, uh, this will become a real problem uh, because there was nothing really prepared if if something would happen. Um, now we we still went by Murphy's law, where you know everything that goes wrong will go wrong. So obviously there was a leak by one guy out of 400. But we had prepared on our side that A, the test was happening around Halloween and the game was vampire themed. B, that we had a internal asset build to excite people. And we, we kind of tried to master it to, to become some kind of 
I don't know, teaser trailer. And we had, uh, and we hand built a website with some, you know, free tool just in case something happens. Uh, and obviously this leak did happen uh, at 4 a.m. in the morning or whatever, but we were, um, we were watching and we, instead of it becoming a huge problem, we we turned it into a teaser announcement. <laughs> so we sent Brilliant. out a, a press release. Uh, we we had this website that was uh, you know uh, coded for free, uh, and we had this teaser, um, and and it kind of overshadowed the 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 problem that the code was out there. We we managed to you know get it off the internet after after a while, but but. You know, you if you're prepared, um, you can you can turn something <laughs> really bad into something great, uh, and and stand by it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that, that's clever, very very clever. Okay, uh, now this one I don't know because I don't know how much experience you guys have uh, in this one. So, but I I ask it anyway. So. Do you have any tips for mid or small sized uh, Western based developers to get into the Southeast Asia and Chinese markets? Getting yourself familiar with the audience is a given, but finding collaborators with a small or mid sized budget is a steep task, uh, in my experience. I can. Yes, um, I uh, think Vilius will read my mind. <laughs> yeah, go on, Vilius. <laughs> Probably, probably. I think we might be uh, overlapping here a bit. Um, so I would say when it comes to uh, Southeast Asia, except for China, uh, there's not necessarily that significant difference. They most of the time would use similar channels. So the game would be available on the same platforms, whether that's console, Steam, uh, mobile. They would be using most of the same social channels. They would have access to Discord, Facebook, Reddit, and so forth. Uh, so I would not elaborate m that much on that. Uh, China is absolutely different on almost all the aspects. And I would say still, uh, even with some of the experience that I have, it's still a very much black box. Because uh, naturally, they would not really use the same social media, meaning that they would not really be reaching uh, most of the same channels. Steam is not officially supported. Well, they have their own Steam version that just have like, a, I think, 100 or so games available. And also the support or uh, approval of the Western games is almost non-existent. Just a couple of games get approved every every year. So it's a really uh, lacustre uh, experience to do that. So I would say the main, the main thing is, of course, finding like probably either a partner, a freelance a studio that has some experience in China marketing and then discussing pretty much the approach. Usually the best approach would be either going with uh, some community building there. Uh, usually the game that is not marketed in China does have some momentum. If it's big in Western, it can be somewhat big in China as well. So just identifying where are the low hanging fruits. But uh, as Martina mentioned, if you have a lot of data on mobile and very little data on console or PC, in China you have absolutely no data. You would not see traffic, you cannot build a website, you cannot really open uh, official accounts. So you will need blocks every single way. So I would say I think almost every studio is still trying to penetrate uh, like or learn that market. So, so a lot of unknowns, unfortunately. I totally agree, right. and I think having external agency is a must. And yeah. the first step I would actually um, start working with when it comes to China Chinese market is having your 
game name translated to Chinese because um, with my experience uh, in China, the game, the name of your game even is different. So it starts with that. So imagine how much of a difference uh, there are between marketing and outside China and in China. And I would just add localization. Yeah, uh, so so good that you added this, Martina. So the name itself, and of course, uh, some people in China will use English, but the game, I would say, simplified Chinese also would take you miles. Yeah, and to add to that as well, I know it wasn't part here in the question, but of course, Japan is different from uh, SEA and, and, and China. Um, same with South Korea as well. So, I mean, it, it's, it's really um, the Asian strategy would always need to be built separately depending on which country uh, you're actually going to as well um, and all of these things that that you guys also mentioned uh, and, and then some you know here again research will will be important but also uh, agencies and and people there are more today than it used to be um, so they are out there it's just sometimes harder to find them yeah, no, it's definitely something that I know, I know, like myself, for experience, that studios are looking for. I have a consultant that I work with who's currently working for a studio, uh, a Stockholm-based studio, and, and her job is community, but is Mandarin speaking, so bridging that gap between between China and, and the West and stuff. So, so, yeah. All right, let's do one more question. Um, how important is community development? Um Sorry. So how important are community development for different game genres? So how do you think about building a community hub without labeling it as its own channel? So I guess like developing communities for different kinds of games. I, for me, I, I think it's, uh, I make no difference in this. I, I think it's, the, the work needs to be, um, the only difference would probably be what we talked about earlier, which was mobile versus um, other games. Um Otherwise, the, 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 the way, the mentality, the onboarding, uh, the retention, all of it is, is, at least in my experience, the same. You know, you need to do the same kind of work regardless. Okay. Anything else to add, guys? Yeah, I think I agree with what Andrew said. Um, I would, however, maybe say that if you expect to have uh, the game live for for many years to come that becomes like extremely important because of course we do have very successful games that had like its peak like months a couple of months after launch and then half a year almost no one is playing that game and that's fine maybe you don't need that surviving uh, like community if you're not really doing a lot of like upsell and stuff like that so again back to, to what martina mentioned with live games but overall i think the community can help that initial launch and and boost um yeah maybe it's also the, the the second part here how do you think about building a community hub without labeling its own channel i mean the way I would see that as an example would be that, uh, you know, I, I worked on plenty of fighting fighting games in my past, um, working with uh, Tecmo Koei. We teamed up at some point with Bandai Namco before I joined Bandai Namco to, to, do, to build these fighting hubs where, you know, the fighting players um, can, can meet each other and, 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 you know, talk to each other about various fighting games and they might try each other's games. So there might be some good interest here to help grow that community together. Um, 
that kind of is one of the examples I would see doing it that way. But otherwise, you would want to own your community for future projects instead of um, owning it for one product only or not owning it at all. Absolutely. I think not owning is only an option, let's say, if you have to deprioritize some of the assets simply because you don't have resources mm. uh, and absolutely you want to enable some of the ways that you can have some influence like ambassadors or, or the opinion leaders and, and stuff like that. But owning it, of course, gives it um, yeah possibility to really expand it beyond singular game what time they said. All right. Um, that's it, kids. That's our LinkedIn Live. Ooh. So uh, basically, this will be on, on Spotify and on our website and stuff. So we have recorded this so uh, people can listen to it on a, a later time um, if they were so wish. And everyone watching will also be get, get sent an email from us guys just to get people's feedback and stuff. And if anyone is interested in like freelancing at all and being a consultant, not just within marketing, but just in general, just reach out to us. And also if any like gaming studios, if they need any help within their marketing team with wonderful consultants, um, also get in touch and just let us know. But thank you so much to Vilius, Martina and Andre for being a part of this. I said before we press play that like, I know you guys personally, like I speak to you on a regular basis. So it does feel like that we're just like mates catching up, which is really nice, but also like very educational to hear. Like I always try and push to hear from like marketers in gaming people. There are lots of people who think it's just artists and developers and, it, and it's not, it's, it's way bigger than that. So thank you for being here and, and yeah reminding people of that